Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Slaughter Podcast will be discussing topics that some listeners may find disturbing. If you're still listening, it's Y-O-U apostrophe R-E. Like S apostrophe Lauter. <laughs> Hi guys, welcome to our latest episode of Slaughter. Thanks for joining us. And um, I'm going to tell my story first. Because Your story? I'm the most important. <laughs> this is the sassy episode. Um, so, if you recognise it, Shut your mouth, because you'll ruin it. I FYI. I didn't think I recognise anything. Everyone who knows me knows I've only got 10 meg of RAM in my brain. <laughs> so, Jessica Sayers uh, was attending school in Stain, Surrey, high school girl, living with her gran, uh, basically a normal 16-year-old. She had friends, she studied for GCSEs. Um, actually, that's not normal for teenagers. <laughs> she had friends. Oh, I-, I thought you were going to say that she lived with a gran. Uh quite a lot of them do um she had a best friend called alice at school and alice was friends with another older girl called Gemma barker who could drive so uh, two years older which is a bit weird when you're 16 hanging out with someone up a, up a sixth form that's basically our relationship yeah we didn't hang out at school that would have been that's weird true. You pretended not to know me <laughs> and um they all basically became friends together hung out all the time and she'd drive them around uh her family, so Jessica's family, thought it was a little bit weird that she was older, but they just got sort of left them to it. And a lot of their friendship wasn't actually in person, and this is kind of our era because it was. On... But they went to the new school, the same school. Yeah, but a lot of the time they spoke on MSN Messenger at night. Oh, of course, of course, uh, which was basically both our lives for most, like quite a lot of our teenagers. Yeah, BRB. My mum needs the phone. GTG. I went to. Um... A lead mining museum oh <laughs> last weekend. Is this in your new relationship? Yeah, that's the kind of romantic dates oh we go on. Goodness. It was fucking good as well because, <laughs> side note, that, well, the point I'm bringing up is that we tried to pay on card and the guy in the back office, they were like, Steve, get off the phone <laughs> because the card machine needed to use dial up. No, <laughs> like, how crazy. That? That's but, a museum in itself. Yeah, right. But she was like, oh, there's some things to crawl through. So watch yourself. What? Literally, you first go in, you climb up a ladder that was just as wide as I was. Like I was starting to panic already. And then you're just in like the loft, <sighs> which is just a pitch black maze of trapped spaces. That's I terrifying. was absolutely freaking out. And this is a popular museum, or was this sort of like a... But they use dial-up on the card machine. 
and that's what you took away from that experience. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so Alice got added on MSN by a guy named Aaron. Now, for all you youngsters, it wasn't like uh, Facebook where you have a profile you could look at. It was literally just uh, someone tried to add you. You couldn't even put yes a picture on, on, could you? It was just all, no. everyone had the little green man. The only way to express yourself was what colour font you had and what style of font you had. And which song lyrics you chose. Yeah. You could have like a little phrase, couldn't you, that would go next to your name. And um, if you start every word with a capital letter. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Um, or every other letter. Every other letter, capital. I've recently been listening on Spotify to like um, old Green Day albums like Dookie oh and God. stuff. And I was like, lyrically, I'm not there anymore. Really? Like, why was I going around like I this middle class church going girl singing about like being burnt out, being paranoid? Oh, you remember the lyrics? You don't empathise with them anymore. Yeah. Why would yeah. I was such an idiot? I was like, yeah, down with the moral majority. Like, and yeah. then oh, I'm off to church now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the why, fuck I was saying. Why would thirty year old like they're always older than you when you look back? Then they should be like songs yeah. about how much like. You hate your dad and your mum yeah. and dad are so annoying. Papa Roach going, cut my love into pieces. You're 45. They probably were younger than that, but still, you've gone past but that But I loved stage. it. I felt like I was super angsty at the time. <laughs> I definitely used some Green Day lyrics as my yeah. MSN. My pet, my childhood is awful. No, it's fine. I also had fake MSN accounts. I was probably called Aaron Whoa, at one time. Oh, you catfish. Everyone did. I didn't have a fake one. I was... Too busy on my real one. Oh, piss off. I'm sure we made fake ones together. Probably. Talks like weirdo. And just like freak people out. Be like, uh, I've got black bold font. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, do you want to suck my toes? <laughs> Something like that. Um, Nothing to feel bad about. Go so for it. So Aaron added her and she began talking to him a lot. And he told her that she was gorgeous. And he called her babe. Now, this was a little bit past our generation because they did have Facebook as well. Um, So... MSN plus Facebook. That's a weird period in time. That must be literally Before two Facebook years. Chat. Yeah. Um, in that very small window yeah. where, they, where they overlapped for a while. I've narrowed it down based on their social media interactions <laughs> yeah. to 2007. <laughs> Probably. Um, so so they, she did look at his Facebook and he did have some photos and he had her friend Gemma as a friend, so she kind of thought that's fine. Um, but not many photos, kind of all on the same sort of day to day yeah, um, like where they just do here's me with glasses here's me without glasses here's yeah. me with a t-shirt now i've put a jumper on Gemma told jess that she knew aaron in real life and that she should go out with him um and then they became boyfriend and girlfriend <gasps> oh i know this story i fucking knew you would yes i know this story <laughs> right keep your mouth shut i told you i really like it <laughs> i told you you'd know it it's a good one everyone <laughs> I knew okay. you'd guess it so soon. Okay, continue. Right. So, they became boyfriend-girlfriend, but they'd never met. Um, it was of like course. Relationship. That's probably like the secret to a really good relationship. <laughs> Just never meet. Never meet. Never like when you do see catfish, like we've been dating for six years and yeah, we've never happy. met. you're happy, leave it at that. That never lasts in real life. <laughs> because when you see how they eat, how they walk. How they breathe. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, Alice wanted to meet up with... Uh, yeah, sorry, it's Alice who's dating him. And Alice wanted to meet up with Aaron and eventually he agreed to meet up with her. So Eventually Aaron... he agreed, like, you're gorgeous, I love you. Ugh. Don't really want to spend time with you, though. So Aaron got a taxi to a park near Alice's house and Alice went and met him. And he wore dark clothes. He had a hat on 
and they kind of just walked around the park just chatting as you do um I mean, there was a lot of park dates when you were a teenager because... Where else are you going to go? Yeah, you don't, want the, you don't want to introduce them to the parents straight away. Um, so Alice allowed Aaron to chat to her friend Jess on MSN as well. And they started chatting. And they'd obviously talk about Alice and how much he liked Alice. Um, and Aaron would phone Alice every day, but he also phoned Jess every day. Now, on the documentary that I watched, I'll tell you the, the name at the end because it'll totally give everything away. But... They, she said, oh, yeah, it was fine. We used to just chat every day. Like, if Luke phoned you every day, I'd be See, a bit weirded out. I did have, like, my first boyfriend yeah. um, when I was in year seven that I dated for, like, oh, my God, six months. It was proper serious. And then he split up with me and then started dating one of my best friends at the time, Claire. And what? then, yes, it was, I was really pissed off about it. And then Claire was like, oh, can you come to the park with me and Chris? Because I'm a bit nervous to be with him on my own. I'm like, bitch, that's my ex-boyfriend. I'm yeah. sure I've mentioned this before because it really hurts now. Well, you shouldn't date people that you're nervous to be alone with either. She doesn't, re- she claims not to remember it now. Like, I remember every second of those third wheel <laughs> dates. And you went? I, yeah, because then I got back with him after. Fuck you. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. Um, So, Aaron had dark brown hair. He was about five foot seven. He wore a hat um, and it had tassels on and a pom-pom on the top and he never took his hat off but it stunk um and Gemma was dating Aaron's older brother Jack um so she would tell Alice about Aaron's family but Alice never went to meet them it was kind of a separate thing but she would say oh yeah they're really nice because Jess the was the older one wasn't she Gemma. the car oh okay. Gemma's the one with the car yeah so she's dating the older brother Jack Yes, that's right. So if Aaron ever wasn't getting attention, he would come out with quite um, quite outlandish big news. So like a relative dying or um, something awful that's happened to him so that both Jess and Alice would feel sorry for him, feel sympathy for him and sort of come rallying and be like, oh no, what's what's the problem? Well, I think that's a pretty common teenage sort of thing. Yeah, um, there's I mean, always something got, going on. Kid in my cheetah group who cries every week. And he's got these friends who will just hug him for about five minutes. Hugging is a big thing, though. You yeah. see it when they go through that phase about, like, year eight to year ten, yeah. where you have to hug to say hello, hug to say goodbye, no, regardless of how long the interaction hug is. Hug if someone says something cute. You're just excited to be able to touch people, I think. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, Aaron's friend Luke then added Jess on MSN. So just on that though, it definitely goes. I literally complained to the head teacher this week because someone stood too close to me at the photocopier. I was <laughs> like, you? tell that bitch to back off. <laughs> She's a supply teacher. I don't want to come in round me. Oh, no one likes a supply teacher. So uh so Aaron had a friend called Luke and he had a Jess on MSN and they started chatting and he would be really flirty again and they began to meet up um, and they would basically sit together and talk and hug or kiss. Now he wore sort of track suits and he had spiky hair but he, he again always wore a hat and um, um, it was very different to Aaron. He spoke differently on MSN, had a different style and personality um, and... Gemma kind of backed off at this point. So Alice has got um, Aaron, Jess has got Luke, and sort of Gemma's going out with Jack and sort of got her own life. So they they sort of don't hang out as much. They're still friends, but they're not as close as they were. Now Luke began to put pressure on Jess to have sex. And she was really reluctant. And she spoke about how Luke would start putting his hands down her skirt and down her pants and would touch her. And she would tell him no, and he just wouldn't stop. So pretty grim. Yeah. Um, 
And she still liked Mathemism. And I think there is that kind of teenage thing of just putting up with stuff because you think, oh, they're a nice guy, really. Or maybe this is what And realistically, yes, yeah, that's the thing. Realistically, it is a confusing time. And you sort of feel like, I know that you're supposed to get, when you get older, do these sort of things. I don't want to do them now. Is it something that's wrong with me? And yeah. you don't automatically think, this is wrong. He's abusing my rights. You just think oh my God, I need to get used to this because this is what older people do. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, she wasn't happy and they weren't talking as much. And then while she was on holiday, Luke went off with another girl from their school. Um, They had an internet relationship, so they weren't meeting up. But he just apparently just started chatting to this other girl and that was the end of what was going on with Jess and Luke. And I think probably in some way she was sort of relieved. Um, So this new boy, the same exact day... Connor McCormack. So she's just split up with Luke and then a new boy appears. Yeah. Um, Connor McCormack. That's like Tinder. <laughs> yeah. He had a Jess on MSN and he was really sweet from the start. So he told her he'd been told by Luke and he was friends with Luke about all the sex stuff that he'd been trying and he didn't agree with it and he thought it was really awful and she deserved a lot better. Um, so they started a relationship and they were talking every day and he was really supportive. And he told her his dad worked for Simon Cowell, uh, who everyone knows who Simon Cowell is, don't they? I don't need to explain that. Yeah, I think Even so. Americans know he's a dick. Um, and he and he had Justin Bieber hair, which uh, Jess was really into. They would meet up on the green outside of her house. Now, they had a really weird relationship. Uh, he would always wear a hat and have a hood over the top of it, but have it really low on his face so she could basically just see the bottom of his nose and his mouth. And he told her he had alopecia and that he was really shy. And um, Jess's brother had alopecia. So she sort of accepted that and was quite sweet about it and didn't make him take his hood off or his hat off. Wait, so she saw, when she dated Luke, did she see his face? Yeah. But Aaron wears hats. Aaron wears hats. Luke wore hats and tracksuits. And then Connor wore a really low hat and a hood. Connor's like seeing the situation. What? Like how Sia has the wig over her face. Oh, yeah. Um, But he was really sweet. He was really caring. But another thing that he did that was really weird, which is another another case of a teenager just going along with something really odd just because they think it's probably fine. But as an adult, you'd be like, what the fuck? Um, Is that they wouldn't actually talk at all. He would write down messages on his phone and then show her... um, and then she would answer vocally and then he would text and then like show her again. So that was the whole of their communication apart from texting and obviously MSN. It is that lack of confidence as a young person because the first time someone did it, I'd be like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> Imagine now if you I'd went on like, a date with someone and they were just writing messages going, I'm shy, so I can't actually yeah. talk to your I mate. used to get super annoyed when my housemate would text me from downstairs. I'm like, just come the fuck up and talk to me. I used to get annoyed when they would leave a fucking passive aggressive note about crumbs in the kitchen. I was like, my parents own this house. I'll crumb it up if I want. Oh, they did. Bray princess. Hello. Well, I didn't say that. My parents own everything. <laughs> Just my parents own your ass I can do what I want <laughs> yeah well I didn't say that <laughs> I just went oh yeah sorry I'll try and be cleaner next time I wasn't even dirty and then got them evicted because by emailing your parents no I wish I could I needed the money so uh, Jess's friends would say to Jess don't you think that's a bit weird but she kind of just ditch thought ditch him ditch him 
And they also said that it was weird how both Connor and Luke had basically just added loads of people on Facebook at once and hardly had any photos. Just was Although, like, to whatever. be fair as well, early days of Facebook, like people might just get a Facebook. You're a teenager, you don't give a shit, do you? Like, I've got a boyfriend. I've got a boyfriend! Yeah, that's all that matters. Yeah. So, Alice and Jess would also go on to St. George's Hill, which is a really posh area. And that is where Connor told her that he lived. And Luke said that he lived as well. So they were still dating Luke and Connor. Um, but they would go and sort of wait outside. And it was a gated community, so they'd wait outside the gates on a bit of grass. And they'd go at maybe six at night. And the lads would say, oh, we'll be there soon, we'll be there soon. And just never show up. And the girls would be there for hours just waiting and hoping that they Dump show them! Up. <laughs> yeah, terrible. Oh my God. And one time... If there's any girls listening who are dating boys and they think, oh, he texts me, oh, he doesn't show up, dump him. Dump, dump him now. Dump him now. And if you dump him and it doesn't go well for you, we'll send you some stickers. Because <laughs> it is going to be better. I yeah. promise. For sure. So... One time Jess got into this gated community and she went and knocked on the door of the address that Connor had said that he lived at and a woman answered and said that Connor didn't actually live there and no one called Connor lived around there. And she spoke to Connor, obviously texted him or or ever sent him and he said that it was the maid and she had to say that because security. security. Alice and Luke, being 16... Being going out for a while started having a bit of a sexual relationship. Um, But every time that they had sex, which was pretty infrequent because they sort of just started that, uh, they both kept their clothes on in the dark. She thought that was pretty normal. Um, And he was really nice and he made sure that she was really comfortable. Uh, But they didn't undress in front of each of them. Now, one evening, Luke was playing with Alice's brother in his room when he was round. And he asked Alice to pass his keys and she couldn't find them. So she looked in his rucksack and found a pink dildo and she freaked out. <laughs> why have you, you know, we've just started having sex, why have you got a dildo in your bag? And um, he said that he had used it on her, but he'd used it on her once. Oh, what? Like, oh yes, I have been using this on you. One time, apparently. And all the other times was his... My penis. Yeah. But she was really confused, really weirded out by this. Um, I'm fucking confused as to who's dating who. <laughs> I thought Luke was gone. I'm now really like, Alice and Luke are still together. Um, Aaron had gone. Yeah, Jess and... Oh, shit. Yeah, sorry. So, all Alice is sleeping with Aaron. Luke's gone. Jess is now with Connor, which is her second boyfriend after Luke. Regardless of whatever catfishing situation may or may not be happening here, this is every bit as confusing as <laughs> yeah. actual teenage love lives. So Alice and Aaron have started having a sexual relationship and she's and he's Aaron's been dildo. slipping in the dildo every now and then. Yeah. Just for a break, I imagine. So he says. I bet he told her something really good like, well, you can only do it twice in a day or your balls fall off, <laughs> so I had to dildo you. I didn't want you to be upset, something like well, that. Well, she was upset. She was very weirded out. So, I wonder if you've ever been, not you, but do you think we've ever been mystery dildoed? Is that something people are doing? Look. Gorilla dildoing? I don't think so. I mean, I'd love to do it on someone, but I've got nothing to replace it with. What? I can't be like, oh, one time it was my dick, one time it was a dildo. <laughs> yeah, you'd have to... Pegging. Unless they make, I guess I could get like finger-sized dildos. You get a little strap-on. 
I just think it'd be like a fun game. Finger or dildo. Yeah. If it's consensual, yeah. Uh, Yeah, a consensual game of guess what's up there. (laughs) Gerbil. Oh no. (laughs) No. Um, So, Connor and Jess are still going out. Right. Do I need to go? Do I need to go through it again or is everyone up to speed? No, let's just recap. Right. So, there's the two little girls. Right. Jess and Alice. There's three friends Gemma, Alice, Jess. So Gemma's the old Gemma's one. Gemma's older. She's dating Jack, who she's gone off. Alice started dating Aaron. They're still together. Jess went out with Luke. He was a bit of a shit. He did some non-consensual stuff to her. They broke up. She's going out with Connor. But now Alice and Aaron are playing Guess What's Up There. Yeah. Got it. But non-consensually. So non-consensually. Guess what I'm raping you with. Yeah, unfortunately. Well, I mean, it's not rape because it's she thinks she just didn't know that she's he was agreed using to have anything different. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Connor and Jess, they were planning on spending the night together, um, mostly because Connor's nan died, and he, mostly because yeah, <laughs> my grand's died, and I just really feel like sex would help. So That's probably a line that men have used the world over. <laughs> Every day, I'm really sad. You're gonna have to suck it. <laughs> oh God. But when Jess, so just I think Jess wasn't up for him staying over for sex. So this was Connor's way of getting himself to sleep in her in her bed. So Connor said that um, his grandma died, and could he stay at her house because he didn't want to be alone? So Jess asked her gran, and her gran said yes, but don't be having any sex now which pointless but you're letting him stay in the room so you're sort of agreeing to that um yeah so jess told her gran that Connor had lost his voice because obviously he doesn't speak oh yeah shit i forgot about that yeah (laughs) um so Connor comes round. so what they're not gonna be like up all night chatting (laughs) i know right i was thinking the other day because blue light's not good for you Connor. i was thinking the other day because someone i know uh, like someone was talking about someone who worked in a deaf school and i was thinking how quiet would that be all of the time you wouldn't have to be quiet down kids because they're already quiet that's a really good point but then if they didn't want to if you were telling them off they could just close their eyes (laughs) and they could do shit that is funny (laughs) okay yeah so he so Connor came around and Jess is crammed says hi you could take your hat off if you want inside it's nice and warm in here oh yeah how rude he obviously doesn't say, no, I'm all right, thanks. He grunts at her <gasps> and she is like, bitch. She does not like this boy, but she doesn't kick him out. I think maybe she thinks, oh, he's just lost his gran, but she's not impressed. So at bedtime, Connor and Jess were kissing. They're in bed now, they're in the room. And Connor took her clothes off and started trying to go down on her. And she said no, but he didn't stop. Despite her saying no, and then she felt something hard go into her, and then he did eventually stop. And right at that point, Alice phones her. Now, Jess answered the call to Alice. She's obviously really upset because this awful things happened to her. Um, she's. But I guess it's like a good excuse to be like, "Oh, you've got to stop. I'm going to pick up the phone." I, yeah, I think. I mean, she was obviously how awful, and this lad in her bed that she trusts. Um, but she doesn't tell Alice why she's upset. She doesn't say something's just happened. She, but she, Alice is saying, why are you upset? Um, Connor then, while she's on the phone to Alice, typed, tell Aris 
Aaron's been in a car accident. Um, well, and I just kept this information to myself. I just thought I'd tell you now. Yeah. So Jess told Alice, and Alice starts freaking out, obviously, really upset. Because even though she's had this sort of weird interaction with Aaron about the the dildo in the bag, she's, yeah, still, she's still a boyfriend. So Connor then said, tell her that, uh, on, the, on the phone, tell her that he's on life support. Um, so I'd just be like, "What the fuck?" Now's the time to start speaking. You yeah. just kept that to yourself this whole time. She obviously just didn't. I mean, she didn't I did. Freak I have out. seen she this didn't... documentary, and I, you do get the impression from watching her that she is not the sharpest. Yeah, bless her. Yeah, well-meaning, but not particularly discerning. Yeah. Um. So they end the call, and then Colin went to sleep. Obviously, Jess is lying there thinking, I can't sleep. I've just found out that my friend's boyfriend's been in a car accident. I've just been... Assaulted. Assaulted by the person lying in the bed next to me. He's still wearing his fucking hat. Yeah, it's still lying... Well, still lying there in his hat. But so she turns round and his hat's higher up than it normally would be. She sees the side profile of Aaron. And she is like, what the fuck is Aaron doing in my bed. Out of the hospital. <laughs> and then she starts sort of being like, oh my god, Aaron's coming here, pretending to be um, Connor, and then has assaulted me. So she is freaking out. She doesn't kick him out. She waits till the morning. That would make sense to her as well, I guess, because you know that Aaron has assaulted, I assume her and Jess have talked, and she knows that Aaron has assaulted yeah, Jess I'm, too. I'm not sure how much she knew, but she's really mortified first thing in the morning she says to him please go you've got to go you know it's time for you to go um it's so you can't you really can't underestimate how horrible that makes you feel like without oversharing too much i def i did have an experience where a friend brought someone back to my house and then he tried to do things with me and then i was like what she was in the room wasn't she yeah and then it's like you can't, I can't, you can't describe how disgusting you feel and like what, yeah. and it's so frightening that someone's been in your home. Yeah. So like for all that she wasn't as aware of what's going on, that's completely terrifying Awful. to have happened. Awful. And one it's of her first sexual long. encounters. Yeah. I mean, she, all her sexual encounters have been people pushing what, pushing it and, and going against her consent. So, I mean, she's, yeah awful for her so after that after that night connor disappears good he is completely gone no trace of him she doesn't hear from him again she if she must jimmy doesn't she's not gonna miss the sound of his voice (laughs) yeah there's literally the sight of his face (laughs) can you imagine you'd just be seeing a hat in the street being like connor connor (laughs) is that true (laughs) so he's gone um but the next day aaron turns up uh with Alice's dad um, picking Alice up from school, no broken bones, no evidence of being in a car accident. Yeah, absolutely but, fine. Wait, so when she thought, so when she saw Aaron in her bed, she didn't go, "Oh, Aaron, what are you doing?" No, she just said nothing Aaron and treated asleep. him like yeah. Connor, and then just went, "You've got to go when you wake up in the morning." Right. So again, someone, I guess she just didn't know what the fuck to do. Not standing up for herself, probably. It just it just seems too teenage. improbable. Uh, too improbable as well. Like, how do you reconcile those two ideas in your head? Yeah. Maybe. So Jess told Alice that she thought that Aaron had assaulted her, and then Jess told the police that she felt that she'd oh, been assaulted. Oh, well done. Yeah. 
Um, and they went to question Alice, and Aaron was there. And he said he hadn't done it. Um, and then, so they sort of question him, and then they sort of leave it. Um, uh, so Aaron and Alice are still together, they're still hanging out. Um, and then, a couple of days later, Luke appears again, uh, Jess's old boyfriend. The other rapey one, brilliant. On Facebook. And he says that it was him that went to Jess's house, not Aaron, and did stuff to Jess. So, apparently it's Luke now. So, Alice arranges to meet Aaron, but she tells the police because she is just so confused. And she wants to help Jess out. Jess still thinks it was Aaron because she saw him. So, they arrest Aaron. They search Aaron and... They try, because he's been arrested, they try, They want to check him for anything that he's got. He refuses to take off his hat, so they pull it off. From under the hat tumbles long hair. The police officer looks at Aaron and says, you're a girl. And then it, it transpires in front of them is Gemma, who had been Aaron, Connor, and Luke. <laughs> Which is so weird i want to know about Gemma and jack's relationship then like well, she's just stood in front of a mirror going you're cute you're cute too <laughs> so the name of the documentary was the girl who became three boys so that makes a bit more sense now so this whole time Gemma, the, the girl who that makes it sound like weird like the girl who was a serial rapist yeah like but it, it it's so unbelievable this is why it was such big headlines in the uk so this whole time Gemma has been at first pretending to be Aaron um, and wearing a hood. So when Alice first met up with him, she didn't go, oh, there's my friend Gemma. What are you doing yeah, here? Yeah, I say they she know goes, what she oh, looks hi, like in the face. Just because he's got a hat on, which I find surprising. They did say in the documentary. That's very surprising. <laughs> if you saw me in a hat and you were like, who are you? <laughs> hi, new boyfriend. Yeah, really weird. Um, and they're like, you can change your voice, but surely not that much. But they said that he sounded like a boy. Every time we spoke to him, it was like the voice of a boy. Like Maybe a bo- they weren't that good of friends with Gemma. They'd been like in hell with her though, like a lot. So, yeah, so she was Aaron and had had this, this hat on. Then she was uh, Luke and had tracksuits on and a different hat. So it's like she's got little cartoon character outfits. Like, this guy will always wear this hoodie. This guy will always wear this tracksuit. A little bit, but I think she did have sort of a little wardrobe for each of them. And then she was um, Connor, Connor, um, which I can understand a little bit more because obviously she thought I could only do two voices. (laughs) (laughs) That's what's funny. Like, I'm done. Like, I can't make up any more voices. three boy voices. You should have given her some tuition and accents. (laughs) Like, Connor, he always types to me, except to ask, what's the time? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then, um, so, these girls were totally taken into it. They they were completely confused when it came out that um, the boys had been Gemma. And uh, they, you know, they were asked quite, how could their boyfriend be a girl? How did they not know? Uh, I mean, they were so confused. They were thinking, am I a lesbian? Am I still a virgin? Because obviously they hadn't yeah, had any penetrative had, sex. They thought they'd be having sex with them. Like. Yeah. Which is why it was such a big story because everyone was like, how the fuck did you not know? Which it is pretty unbelievable. It is pretty unbelievable. I'm not trying to take away from the fact that they have gone through a traumatic experience, but I'm just saying what everyone was thinking. How did you not know? Uh, the only thing she said was that she said, um, 
Oh, when she looked at Aaron, she did say, oh, you could be Gemma's sister. You've got, you've really got the same teeth. And that's really kind of how she's identifying them by their dental records. <laughs> but they had Facebook pictures. Quite sophisticated like, there, Alice. <laughs> the Facebook pictures. I mean, how different could you look with a hat on? Not that different. If I put a hat on, I've still got my face. Like, if you did some, like, creative makeup shit, you could maybe they're all doing, like, the sellotape facelift. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. So, Gemma then claimed that Luke had assaulted her and that he had really hurt her and tried to claim money for that assault. But they against were, a fictional person. Yeah, so they were trying to track down this fictional person and say, because obviously when they found her, they knew, well, you're not Aaron, you're Gemma. Have you been pretending to be Aaron? But they didn't know about the other ones. So then they charged her with fraud for trying to claim money oh, against fuck. someone who didn't exist. And she's still a teenager too. Yeah, and they searched her. They found that she had three phones. She had different Facebook logins. She had boys' clothes in her. Where is your uh, mother? Yeah. So... Um, she had more money than sense. Three phones. And a car. Like four wardrobes. Yeah. Maybe she was quite well off and sort of bored. Couldn't think of three accents though. <laughs> maybe spend a bit of that money on like elocution lessons or something. Jess had said that she believes that Gemma was in love with Alice um, and she was sort of a confused, maybe bisexual or lesbian and that, that was sort of her way of dealing with it and that she was in love with Alice. She knew Alice wouldn't be interested. Um but she she said that because she thought, well, Alice was always treated respectfully, whereas Jess was always, with both personas, sort of treated yeah. not very nicely by them both. She's like the practice one. That's yeah. really sad. So Gemma pleaded guilty to two counts of sexual assault and one of fraud. Um, and everyone said that she didn't really show any remorse. She didn't show any emotion. She didn't seem really bothered by the trauma that she had caused to the girls and the confusion. And at that age, it's a lot of stuff will haunt you quite formative still, yeah maybe they did sort of uh they did tests on her um they found that she was on the autistic spectrum um but she was only given two and a half years so she's out of prison but i still can't get my head around it i mean so a lot, some people have a phone voice but they change their voice like, like when you phoned me the other friday and we're like hey girl and i was like who's killed emma and taken her persona i was like, just happy it was friday like, holy shit it's like what up bitch? whereas my mum always answered the phone like hello <laughs> why are you already annoyed you don't even know who it is yet why have you inconvenienced me by ringing my phone <laughs> So that's my story. I think it's one of my longest ones, actually, looking at the time. Uh, Um, Yeah, let us know if you've ever played Guess What's Up There. (laughs) When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Fucking hell. Go! Oh my god! Okay. Fuck. I guess I'm ready. Okay, so... Um... This week, I'm pushing the boundaries of UK true crime slightly. Because <laughs> it's not in the UK. Well, sort of. Well, America can definitely claim this person as their own, for sure. Oh. Um, but I was definitely shocked about um, how much time this person spent in the UK and <laughs> how integral the British people were into sort of bringing him to justice and okay. uncovering his lies. So I've not run out of... UK criminals. There's definitely a large part of UK involved in this, but the first half of this story starts with his life in America. Okay. So we're so, not going to like include Gibraltar at a push yet. No, I but just no just disclaimer in, in case someone's listening halfway through and goes, "What the fuck has she done this week?" Um, it's getting there. <laughs> so but everyone forgets we're UK anyway all the time. Although, Although we, we do, never introduce the podcast. That's so. the thing. We do always say we don't ever tell people what it's like. We just expect them to have picked it up by now. Yeah, if you're not started at the beginning, you're not. It's like, what's in my little black box? Is this murderer in it? Nope. (laughs) This one? Yes, work out the link. Okay, so I'm going to do about Robert Elmer Cleason. um, People in America should have heard of him, maybe. Um, There's a documentary about this case entitled The Real Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh. It was in Texas. There wasn't a chainsaw involved. Was there a massacre? How many people do you have to kill for it to be a massacre? Five or more. Then it wasn't a massacre either. But in the same room. Massacre's got to be in the same space, surely. And there's only two people involved. It's just a double homicide. Yeah. I think it was just in Texas and they got excited. <laughs> and it did happen uh, like three or four months after the film Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah, came right. out. Which is weird because then there's loads of stuff being like, oh, he's the one who inspired the film. What? Retroactively? Like fire up the <laughs> DeLorean and let's inspire a movie. No. So anyway, Robert Cleason. He was born in 1932 in Buffalo, New York. And there's little information about his childhood, but there's a book called Evil Among Us, The Texas Mormon Missionary Murders, where author Ken Driggs talks about an event that happened when Cleason was 18. So reportedly, he had been out and he'd stood on a rusty nail that had gone through his Ah, foot. That's horrible. It's like standing on a plug times 10,000, I would imagine. So um, his mum took him to A&E I love how we've done so many murders. We're like, oh, Rusty Nail. Oh, standing on Lego. Oh, that's brutal. <laughs> Pulling out an eyeball. It's all right. Both of my legs fell asleep today. And I was trying <laughs> to walk I was trying to walk downstairs and I nearly did a mini cry. It was really <laughs> painful. When the, okay. Pins and needles extreme. I'm such a wuss. <laughs> anyway, so when he was 18, this happened, and he was in A and E. And it said that while he was there, 
he sort of snapped. I mean, it's possible that the waiting time is what did oh, it. Oh, God, yeah. But he hit his mum. Oh, fuck. Punched his mum. He went out to the car oh. and got her gun and then came back in firing shots around the waiting room. <gasps> he did you know what? Sometimes, though, I'm so pissed off, I think. What if I just did this? There's a way that I drive to work every day. You probably drive the same way, actually. And there's two lanes and the right lane's faster. Yes. Do you know what I mean? But then also then you get a, another lane that opens up. That's why the right lane's faster because they're turning, some people are turning right, right at the end. And people scooch down and they pull over to the left as they're going around the roundabout. And I think if I had a gun or if I could make a magical spell where something awful happens to you, if you pull into the lane, then I fucking would. Or I really wanted to... I'm glad you changed it to magic spell because this was about to get used as evidence against you. (laughs) What I really want to do, which is much more passive... I just want to bash their car. Much more passive aggressive is I want to print a big A3 laminate sign and say, if you pull into the left lane after being this lane, you're a dick. I think that would get my point across. A lot more feasible. You could do that. I genuinely really, really want to do it. I'll bring my laminator next week. Oh, shit. Let's do it. Um... So <laughs> he went in shooting around this hospital, but he didn't actually shoot any people. No one was injured. Good. Which um, probably just shows his frustration because he was a keen hunter. He would be all his life. So it seems very likely that if it had been his intention to shoot people, that he would have been shooting people. Yeah. Um, but this sort of rampage did mean that he was admitted to a psychiatric facility um, where he stayed from 1950 to 1952. So not much is known exactly about, I couldn't find much about what happened while he was there, but we can, I think it's safe to assume that a 1950s psych ward, that they weren't really using restorative methods of treatment. There's pretty, he would have been electroshock therapy, surely. Probably. I mean, that started in 1940 and carried on, was still used sometimes. Surprised he wasn't lobotomized. They were big on that then, weren't they? Yeah. Just waggle some metal rods in your head, in your brain. And yeah, so it's likely that happened. In return to ours, it looks quite scary. Yeah. So <laughs> I imagine it's horrible. <laughs> what, electric shock therapy? Yeah. Because she's like, I've been to ours. And they're like, fucking shock her. I think it can't have been the best experience for him. But then later in life, he ended up leaving Buffalo to escape bail because he had shot a man in the foot. Yeah. So it obviously hadn't helped him massively. Um, He did travel around and he worked in various places he was even some a short period of time in the 60s he was a deputy sheriff um but then i think he was dismissed because they said he's a bit of a loose cannon a bit unstable (laughs) so eventually by the early 1970s cleason was living in austin texas so as well as like as goes along with hunting, you're like you're usually quite into what you do with them afterwards. So he was quite into taxidermy, and he like hitched up his caravan at the back of this taxidermy shop place, and would hang around there making friends. <laughs> what with the animals, with the people. <laughs> Good day, little squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> with the people that worked there, so he was quite well known in the community. Like he made himself known. He was out there talking to everyone. If I did taxidermy, I would put little waistcoats on them and monocles. For sure. I could make them fun. I was watching this Formal program. Formal taxidermy. <laughs> I was watching this program, say, on Netflix, and it was people who are weird about... People with weird animal stuff. Oh, and extreme animal obsessions! Yeah. I watched both episodes, yes. like, just the other day. Yeah. Last weekend. And there's oh a body God. of death dresses at Beatles. Yeah, And the roadkill And she's one. like, I'm making Ryan Gosling out of drive. Obviously, the roadkill one was British. 
There was a roadkill American one where he just ate moldy meat. And then the roadkill British one was like he served it up as a dinner party. (laughs) That's true. That's the difference. He gave them a tasting soiree. That's true. I'd go to that. I would have gone to it. Not now, though. No, because we're vegan. Yeah. Just in case you hadn't picked that up. The first rule of being a vegan. First rule of being a vegan is tell everyone you're a vegan. (laughs) Tell everyone you're a vegan. The second rule of being a vegan is tell everyone you're a vegan. Yeah. So, um, like I said, he was in Austin, Texas. He was hanging out with the taxidermy gang, and then when he so sort of the 1970s time, the Vietnam War was in its final stages. Um, The Korean War had happened in the 50s, and sort of the age he was, it wouldn't have been odd for him to have sort of war stories to tell. I don't know anything about wars. (laughs) They killed people. I don't know how much I should know about wars, but I really don't know anything about wars, apart from the British ones. Well, I didn't know much about either of these, but it it was possible for the timeline that that he would have been involved. Okay. So... He said that he'd been in both those wars and he was impressed people by telling stories of his time, being heroic, shooting down planes. And he also said that he'd worked for the CIA as like a secret agent because first rule of CIA secret agent, tell everyone. Very (laughs) much like veganism, so I've heard. Um, It's tough going and you need to tell people. (laughs) And the cherry on top of his CV was he taught, he had several degrees. He had a couple of PhDs. He spoke loads of languages. Um, still lived in a caravan, though, up around <laughs> the back of a taxidermy shop. But he couldn't hold down a job as a sheriff either. Yeah. Um, he also claimed that he was partly responsible for the assassination of, for the assassination of Che Guevara. Oh. I don't know. He probably just shot a man with a beard and was like, <laughs> how do I make myself feel better? He must have been Che Guevara. He shot a woman with a slight mustache. It was Hitler. It was totally fine. <laughs> so anyway, so he had all these stories. And I think we both know that if you want to find a group of people who are willing to accept your far-fetched bullshit stories, um, you go to the religious ones. Yeah. Because they're really well practiced at it. <laughs> Pretty good at turning a blind eye to contradictions. So Cleason <laughs> found his tribe um, when he became baptized into the Mormon church. So he really enjoyed this community aspect of the Mormon church very much. And, and the snazzy underwear. Oh yeah, for sure. Nice and warm, thermal. But um, he sort of felt like he was sort of abusing it a little bit. He wanted to be in that community because of what they could do for him. And if ever he got in trouble, he was like, well, you guys are my church. You need to help me out, which is what churches do. I like that about church, actually. But he definitely took them for granted. Sort of like, again, early 1970s, around 1973, he was done for um, buffalo rustling. I saw. <laughs> I buffalo. thought the buffalo had died. <laughs> yeah, I then. was told you massacred the lot of him. I thought, yeah, I thought buffalo had died out, did they not? I don't know. Maybe they farmed him and brought him back. Mm. But then I just talked about a place called Buffalo, so I could be very confused. But anyway, he was sent, he was arrested and charged for a minor crime. And the church responded quite initially, like they went to visit him a bit and they brought him some clothes and things, but there started to be problems. What were those problems, Emma? (laughs) Turning a page quietly. They started to get um, a rise because Cleason felt that it was the church's responsibility to bail him out. And he was pretty pissed off that they hadn't had a whip round. <laughs> um, they didn't. Um, I think that shit might fly with the Catholics. 
Like if you've done something bad, they're well up for a cover up. No, nah, they will out you. They will they will discharge you from the church in a heartbeat. You get divorced, you won't have a communion ever, ever again. I can. You don't... marry a divorced man, he's still not invited. Well, there's plenty of priests that got buffeted about to avoid charges. That's true. But anyway, the Mormons weren't having it, so they were like, "You need to still be do your time." And he just was moaning and moaning. He was really resentful towards him, and despite the fact that he'd made so many complaints and he was quite turning, turning things nasty, there was still. Um, he was still regularly visited by a couple of Mormon missionaries because people know like when you're the young missionaries go out, they go in pairs. Yeah. So Gary Darley and Mark Fisher, both 121-19 respectively, and they would go for dinner at his house every Monday night just to sort of keep him in fellowship and um, chat to him. Um, so others at the time, reported that Cleason had a very unstable temper and that he could go from, like, zero to 100 with very little warning. You wouldn't really like just see... just sitting it. in A&E and shooting up in A&E. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that sort of behaviour. And so people were coming quite uneasy, and especially when it was it seemed to be that he was actually a compulsive hoarder of guns. Not just that he was into it, but he was collecting them extensively. And um, what they didn't know was that he also had three wives, all of whom who'd left him um, because of issues with his behavior. The third one actually left him. It had been triggered because she'd found him having a bath with a deer that he'd disemboweled. Oh, like just God. like swimming around in yeah, the Yeah, I would be awful. out of there for mm. sure. So and the guy who were like, in that, sorry, back to that show, the guy who was eating dog food out of a bowl and he was like, no one's ever divorced for that. I was like, they fucking should. His wife, I was screaming at the TV about his wife. <laughs> Leave him. She's there looking after a baby and he's like, well, I just don't want the responsibilities. I just want to live life as a dog. Well, sleep fuck off and sleep bed. in the garden there. Ugh, he made me so angry, yeah, that man. It was, it was the most selfish thing. The woman dressed Beatles up as celebrities, go for it. That's cute. Serve me a roadkill soiree when I'm not a vegan, go for it. Dress, <laughs> like trot around as a pony, fine. But fucking over your family because you want to roll around on the floor and snog your dog. <laughs> no, thank no, you. Thank you. Anyway, he was snogging the dog. Was he? Well, it licked he in his dog mouth. Dog breath as well. Oh, well. Who are we talking about? <laughs> Sorry. So, um, Cleason, he again became more and more resentful towards the church and he would start writing these really aggressive and violent letters to the local bishop. And so the missionaries, all the missionaries were warned not really to hang around with Cleason anymore and just be careful of him. But Darley and Fisher, they wanted to save him like he'd been a member of the church and they were like this is an easy win surely <laughs> yeah we can get him back um so they continued to visit and then eventually the bishop gave them strict instructions you need to stop going around to this guy's house he's continuing to write really violent letters like threatening oh to do horrific things it's not safe for you to go see him that play um, so the boys felt a bit bad about it. So they said, okay, we're going to stop, but we're going to go and make a final trip just to say goodbye to him and let him know why we're not coming anymore. And they told a couple of other people that they were doing it too. So everyone knew they were going around to Cleason's for their fi like farewell visit. And um, this was the last time that the boys would be seen. Oh, I mean, I saw that coming, but oh, Yeah. So 1974, we're in. Cleason was arrested for the murder of Darley and Fisher. 
um, despite no bodies ever being found. And the police began to try and unravel the many tales and aliases that Cleason had. He denied the charges completely, but he would change his story a lot. He said that, oh, they never came. Or then he'd say they did come. He claimed that there was a Mormon conspiracy against him. He also said that the judge in the case uh, was trying to send him down in order to silence him because he knew information about war crimes the judge had committed whilst he was a member of the CIA. Just really saying all sorts of bizarre things. Um, he had been diagnosed, I think, as schizophrenic back when he was in the psych ward. Right. So they knew sort of these things aren't legitimate. So there was a lot of circumstantial evidence, though. Of course, he was the last person to have seen the boys. They also found um, a standard Mormon name badge with a bullet hole through it, which was found outside his trailer. And then inside, when they searched it, they found some blood-stained watches and some keys that were identified as belonging to the victims. So it's not known exactly what happened that night, but there were people who knew Cleason at the time that said um, he was obviously into guns, into shooting, and one of the things he'd do when people would come over, he had like a makeshift shooting range outside his trailer, and he'd take them out to show off how good he was, and then say, right, as my guest, go and collect the target so you can see how good I was. And as they were bringing the target back, he would be aiming the gun at them right at the head to sort of shit them up. So it's thought that something similar happened, that he'd sent the boys to do it and then shot them as they were collecting the target. Um, inside the trailer, the police also found a manuscript that had been typed under one of Cleason's aliases in which he goes into really horrendous and microscopic detail about how he, you can dispose of a animal carcass without anyone knowing it's been there. So they're saying he obviously had, he knew exactly what to do if he wanted to get rid of these bodies. And then in his taxidermy workshop, there was a bandsaw and on it, they found some hair that matched the missionary boys. So it's thought that the bandsaw had been used to cut the heads so they couldn't be distinguished as human because every other bit that was cut up, he could dispose of it along with the other meat parts flesh of the other animals whereas the head would be really obvious it was human so it's thought that he just cut it up so small so um they read his violent letters to the mormon bishop at court and that pretty much sealed his fate so he was found guilty and he was sentenced to death and that would be a great little texas tale however this is a british podcast so exactly here comes the turn so after he'd been three years on death row um, Cleason and his lawyers, they appealed his sentence based on a technicality. They claimed that the search warrant that allowed them to get into the trailer, find the watches, find the manuscript, all of that wasn't legal. I hate when it's stuff like that because... Uh, that's like classic Unabomber move. Yeah. That's exactly what he does. Yeah. Well, he doesn't get away with it, but I was like, it's the Unabomber again. Yeah, I was think I was already thinking Unabomber when I was thinking of um, I hope that's the where you got weird the idea stuff that he wrote. But... Um, yeah, I hate when it's such a stupid thing because you think, yeah, but they still found it. Like, who gives a shit if they weren't supposed to be in there? But I guess but the then law we know is there of, to protect. I'm going to say it, and we know of other cases where you're like, where we've heard that police will pin a crime on someone just because they True. think, okay, it doesn't matter how we got the evidence and it might not be them. True. Um, but he got away with it. So I, I'm, this must be what inspired um, Ted Kaczynski. 
A little bit. Uh, because he did get away on this technicality. The sentence was overturned. And then the prosecutors, they could obviously retry him, but there was no new evidence. And not being able to use any of the evidence they found inside the trailer, they didn't want to risk going to trial and losing it because then obviously he couldn't be tried again. So instead, in order to keep him in prison, they just tried him for all the different outstanding charges he had of other different gun offenses and assaults. So like the shooting in the foot that we heard before and things like that. So altogether with those charges, they managed to get him sentenced for nine years in prison. But that is nothing to a man who's just escaped death row. He had like a renewed optimism for his future. And he started uh, writing to different pen pal schemes and trying to women and spouting his CIA stories and hoping to catch himself another bride. So one of his pen pals was uh, the widow of a policeman, Marie Longley, from Barton-on-Humber in the UK. So it's technically in Lincolnshire, uh, but it's right, it's the south end of the River Humber. So just opposite the river is Hull, which is Yorkshire. So they have like (laughs) really good Yorkshire accents. Don't try it. We've been in trouble for that. (laughs) They love my accent. But it's a nice little villagey place. And I'm really, he claimed to Marie that he wasn't actually in prison serving time. Um, he said that he was there as a college professor educating the inmates. You think she'd be like, not interested then. I've signed up to write to a criminal. Mm, well, I'm surprised that a policeman's wife was wanting to write to criminals anyway. Your husband's dedicated life to... But maybe it's some sort of weird... Maybe divorce. Alicia's a widow, wasn't she? Maybe he yeah. was a shit husband. Possibly. So he sort of convinced her, though, he would get... Um, however he could, he would get photographs from other inmates where there were no people in or where there was odd people um and then he would send them to marie and say oh here's a photo that i've taken which is why i'm not in it so but to just prove that he was going around various places it's basically like when that guy was stealing my traveling photos off instagram and pretending he was who was that when that guy when we were in copenhagen and then some guy was like posting the same photos (laughs) Anyway. Oh, that, he's, he's probably some that just that's re- what's more depressing about that is no one wants to catfish my actual face <laughs> just where i've been yeah but he's, there's probably some reason that he's saying that so mm. maybe he'll be on the podcast one day wasn't there that girl who tried to convince their family she'd been around the world just by photoshopping photos in a room like, just go around the world love yeah so 1988 um his release day, date came around and uh, it, he was released in Buffalo again, in like sort of New York area. And his story was all over the news. He was extremely notorious. He was hounded quite a lot. And with good reason, because everyone's pretty sure that he's done these murders. Yeah. They're fucking pissed off that he's been released. Um, so this is perhaps another reason that sort of pushed him to go and visit Marie Longley. So at the time, he obviously had been released. So he was given his passport back and... Seemingly, there were no checks required for him to come to the UK. So he claimed to Marie that he was coming for a holiday initially, but he arrived with a load of boxes. And four months later, he married her and moved into her cottage in Barton-on-Humber. There were pictures of the day that show him wearing a US Congressional Medal of Honor, which is one of the highest awards you can get. Um, Or as they said in the documentary, one sec, Said he'd got purple heart. What? A purple heart. A purple heart. Said he'd got purple heart. Um, 
So, like I say, it's the, one of the highest honours they can give, sort of like a Victoria Cross equivalent. So that's some sort of patriotic thing over the purple part. No, it's the name of the medal, like oh, a Victoria right. Cross thing, this congressional medal. But it's pretty impressive that he was able to get one pre-eBay days. Yeah. Like, you don't know how he'd managed it. So that sort of convinced people that he was the impressive man he said he was. And he was telling anyone who would listen in the village about his war heroics and his adventures as a fighter pilot. After he got settled, he wanted to pursue his love of shooting. So, I mean, we even... This is obviously sort of a pre-Dunblane still, but shooting wasn't like that big. So he had to satisfy himself by joining the local duck and fowl club, not the deer that he was used to. But once accepted um, to the club, he could then apply for the British gun license. So you sort of have to have the people vouching for you. So on his applications to the country, when it said, do you have any previous convictions? He just said no. So then when the police do the checks for your, at the time, when the police did the checks for his gun license, they was like, oh, it's got, he's got no previous convictions. We'll give it him. So he was given the gun license. He was also given um, a license, a permit to deal in guns as well. So he was able to buy loads and loads and he began hoarding them. And Marie's house was soon absolutely full of guns. Like he'd knocked down walls and like added in more space just so he could put his guns in there. But it just seems crazy that you didn't have to. I mean, I always think that about, you know, when you come to fly somewhere and you go through the anything to declare section, I always think, well, I'm just walking off and because it's just like a corridor, isn't it? You walk left if you want to got something to declare, walk right if the answer is yeah. no. And I think, well, how do they know I've not got anything? They trust you. Unless you're a white woman, they will never falter in that trust. So is it just like an honesty system? Yeah, but they'll do random checks. If you have got shit, then they'll be really oh. pissed off with you. So like I say, you can just say, at this time anyway, he just said he had no convictions and it looked no further. Um, Marie's friends told how she pretty quickly realized into the marriage that she was stuck with a quite dangerous man. She said he'd sit at home cleaning his guns and she said that when he was sort of checking in the site, he would always search to aim for her head as he did it. Oh my God, Just think she was thinking, maybe I shouldn't have written to a guy in prison and married him after four months. You think so? Well, there's one of her friends who does an interview and she basically said she knew it was wrong, but she sort of believed if you make a mistake, you have to live with it. Like she wasn't the divorcing type, but she definitely knew he was intimidating and she felt like he was threatening her. So Cleason, he sort of became a local gun expert then and he would um, consult with the police. He became quite friendly with a lot of local police. Um, they would come to him for advice on guns. Um, but privately, he was bullying, he was beating his wife to the point where she would shut herself in the spare room pretty much all of the time that he was in the house and then only come out when he was gone. So quite, he's li- almost living this double life. Like I say, he was big into the community, big talker, this massive over six foot quite large american guy in this small british village he stood out everyone knew him and at first they found him interesting with all of his stories then they sort of found him like oh okay he's pretty amusing (laughs) then they sort of saw he's pretty ridiculous and soon his constant stories of adventure and far-fetched things they earned him the nickname of the mad yank (laughs) and it's quite amusing because uh, one of the documentaries that I watched, which was called The Real Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I think I mentioned that, they literally refer to him that, like, without skipping a bit all the time. They didn't call him by his name, like, oh, yeah, and then Mad Yank said this. <laughs> <laughs> They're not bothered one bit. It might have been a hint. 
So Mad Yank, um, they started to suspect more and more that he was completely bullshitting about everything. And he was starting to show his quick temper and his confrontational attitude more and more in public. So there was an event where he, which sort of ruined his reputation with the gun club members in such a delightfully British way. Basically, there was an argument over where he'd parked his car. <laughs> so he'd been asked to move it by another gun member, but apparently he went up to him and said, the man telling the story refuses to swear. So he said, oh, is this your so-and-so car? Probably said, is this your fucking car? And then... Cleason didn't like the way he was spoken to, didn't think he should have been asked to move his car by anyone. So he, after stewing for a while, he took out a loaded gun from his car, went into the clubhouse and aimed it at the guy's head. Uh, and he said to him, if we were in Texas, I'd blow your fucking brains out. <laughs> but as we're in Britain, you're fine. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's illegal in Texas as well. <laughs> to shoot someone in the head, I think so. Um, I guess he didn't have anywhere to bury it. Possibly. Um, and he just said afterwards, he was like, well, I'm sorry, but I, that's just the way I was taught to respond to things when I was in the CIA. Because <laughs> that's what they're always doing. Again, I'm Losing pretty a sure. Losing rag and threatening to blow people's heads off. Exactly. So he was fined for the incident, as was the other guy, because Cleason said, oh, he threatened me with a gun too. So the, both men were just fined and they were allowed to keep their licenses. However, the gun club didn't really want him anymore and they were looking for an excuse to expel him. So a guy called Tony Fox now steps in as the hero of the piece. He's got a hero's name as well. He has. Tony Fox. And he's so unassuming. He's like a little guy, lisp, like, no, there's big Dwight Schrute glasses, like (laughs) totally not the type. Um, He knew of Cleason's temper. He was the local gun shop owner and there'd been a couple of times where he'd sold him a gun or he'd ordered one in and then Cleason had refused to pay for it and got really angry and aggressive if he'd asked for the money. So he decided to try and take him down using his very particular skill set, which is military nerdiness. He'd been suspicious about this Medal of Honor that Cleason had owned. So in 1999, he sent a fax... (laughs) to the Medal of Honor Society in America. And they replied, confirming that no one, this Robert L. McLeeson, he hadn't received an award at all. So Tony Fox then immediately kicked him out of the club, saying that we've all vouched for you, but you're lying to us. You're gone. So I mean, he's got to get rid of all of his guns. He's out of the gun. He's out of the club, but he still has his license. Um, Cleason, though, lost his shit and he threatened Tony saying that if this information ever gets out, then you're fucking in for it. But sly fox Tony, he'd already faxed it to the police. Like, he doesn't waste a minute. Get that fax over. <laughs> Isn't that what? That's all I know about fax machines. That's that noise. the noise. So this sparked the police to do a bit more digging because obviously they knew the guy, but now he's he's obviously lying about stuff. So they ordered an Interpol inquiry and it came back with details of the string of gun offences. But weirdly, it didn't have any reference to the Morden, to the Mormon missionary murders, possibly because the trial was appealed. Maybe it didn't last. So police raided the cottage that he shared with Marie and confiscated his 42 guns that he had there. He even had a fucking Tommy gun. Like, that's insane. 
And apparently, as they did it, he was crying uncontrollably and sobbing that his children were being taken away from him. Do you think that's part of the schizophrenia? Possibly. Like, he definitely... People who knew him said that he definitely had an attachment to them. Like, they, they thought he was... That's how strongly he felt. So, Marie's friend, Liz Butterfield... She became more and more concerned about her friend's well-being, particularly now Cleason had lost his guns. He seemed quite desperate and preparing to exact revenge. She also knew that he was concealing knives at various points around the house, taping them to beams in the cottage and stuff so that he could still be threatening. And at one point, Cleason moved a bandsaw into the home and Liz was like, this is not right. So... What does a pensioner do when they need help? She called up her son and told... I was going to say, ask a kid. Called up her son and asked him to get on the internet. I've just got a couple of jobs for you. Oh God, that those words. When I go around to mum's, just got a couple of things. Oh, fucking what now? Worse than a couple of things is if your mum's asking you for help with anything on the internet. <laughs> yeah. That is not going to have been a fun evening that they spent at the Butterfield house. I used to give her lessons on the internet that was that was my darkest time. Yeah. So fortunately, same lesson every week. <laughs> fortunately, Liz's son didn't man- commit another murder, um, but he did help her out. And so they were trying to see what they could find on Robert Cleason. So they knew that he'd, from the information that had come through with the Interpol inquiry, Marie had said that he'd been in the New York system. So Liz's son went online and he basically was able to go to the New York Department of Correction website and just search him in their prison records. And it was all there. Wow. So they learned of all the assault charges fully. And then they were able to follow a link to the Texas Department of Corrections where they learned about his previous stint on death row. So Liz sat Marie down, cup of tea, and tried to persuade her to leave Robert, but she refused. She said she was so terrified that he was going to carry out his threats to kill her. I mean, he said before, if you ever leave me, I'll kill you. And she was worried that if she went round and stayed at Liz's, that he'd just come and he'd kill both of them. She was absolutely just so frightened. Three days later, Marie disappeared. Oh. I love you, like, trying to look at the book and see what's <laughs> like, going to come no! next. It's like with a horror film. If it gets really scary, I Google the plot and read it on Wikipedia. And then I'm like, yeah, I can probably do this now. So Cleason filed a missing persons report. But following what they just learned, the police were suspicious that he had something to do with it. So lesson to be learned there, isn't there? If you're with someone that you're scared is going to hurt you, if you leave them, all the more reason to leave them. Yeah. Get out. Luckily, Marie was on that vein. Um, her disappearance wasn't a fatal attack from the husband. <gasps> it was a secret escape plan yeah! plotted by her and Liz Butterfield. Amazing. The pensioner, Thelma and Louise. So, like, I just love every bit of this because in order to get her out with her belongings, they um, set up a fake jumble sale story. Believable. Exactly. So Marie was putting stuff in plastic bags and just leaving it at the front door because that's what women do if they're taking stuff to the jumble sale you start piling it up at the front door (laughs) and Cleason knew I'm not asked about any of that so Liz arrived at the crack of dawn before Cleason was going to be up to collect Liz and then with the jumble they um, drove her to a safe house 50 miles away the police did eventually find her five days later, but when she explained the situation, why she was there. I mean, she hadn't told police before because she knew that 
Cleason was sort of friendly with a lot of them and she was worried that they'd sort of be on his side and not take it seriously. But now that she knew they were a bit more on her side, they had another raid on their house and they found that Cleason now had two now illegal um, guns. One was complete with a silencer. March 2000. So he's late 60s, March 2000. He was charged then with this illegal possession of firearms. But bizarrely, he was released to await his sentencing and they allowed him to return to Barton on Humber um, and to the house, which obviously Marie had was been able to get a divorce in this time. She was granted that, but it was fucked up that he was now chilling in her house while she was having to hide somewhere else. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Because she was just too scared to come well, back to the village while he was there. Yeah, if she knew he was out of prison, she would definitely be flipping terrified. So, however, while he was out on this release, it seemed that he was planning to repeat the patterns that he had before and just skip the country before his sentencing. So he started um, writing to pen pals, this time in Germany. And uh, so early that year, he left Barton and Humber with a moving van full of furniture that was taken from Marie's house and his German fiance who would soon become his fifth wife. And they went to the Hull docks to catch a ferry. Police were sort of alerted to the fact that he was on the move and they followed him. He wasn't booked onto the ship, but they were pretty certain he was going to stow away. So they arrested him there. And he was sentenced to three years for the possession of firearms. And he was held in Belmarsh prison. But then he was kept there because there was new DNA evidence being discovered in the case of Darley and Fisher, the two boys that were murdered. They found blood and hair that they could now match to the two boys uh, in some like barrels or something near his trailer. Cleason, now 70, they're, they're trying to extradite him, sorry, that's why he was being held for longer. So they were trying to get him sent to the USA to finally be punished for these murders. Uh, but he's 70 now, he suffered heart failure and he died right before he could be sent back to America. So he got away with it, really? Pretty much, yeah. Twat. No, but we tried our best. Like, Tony Fox was on yeah. it. Well done, Tony. Okay, thank you for listening. I'm wearing a t-shirt right now, which is out of a true crime box that got sent to us. Oh my God, the Just Killing Time box. It was really good. Amazing. Um, yeah, so if you're into subscription boxes, I think they're posting anywhere in the world. Um, but go have a look at their website. It is cool. I was incredibly impressed with it. Like, Because I, I was thinking, what on earth do you put in a true crime box? What sort of things do we want? But an art print that was really yeah, cool. Mug, um, book, magazine. Like these trading cards. But also everything made. was really cutely wrapped. And everything oh my had cute sort of little design. Oh, yeah. Just we say stuff. cute, but like as in like bespoke paper for the killing time, like with their little logos on. It's such good quality, yeah. the stuff. It really wasn't just well thrown in a box. Everything was really well thought out. It felt like a proper gift. Yeah. I loved it. We opened it in Pizza Hut. <laughs> <laughs> we had vegan pizza. Vegan pizza. We opened it in Pizza Hut. And the waiter was like, are you ready? Or shall I come back in another hour? Like, Jesus Christ, I'm just looking at my Manson t-shirt. Fuck yeah, up. He's a dick. Yeah, so um, if you want to support us, though, you can do on Patreon. There's a new episode of Mother Daughter Slaughter, which is 25 minutes of true crime. I mean, for $5 on Patreon, you get a handwritten card with a design that I crafted. You get stickers, you get the new design of stickers, and you get to listen to 
four episodes of the daughter slaughter and a little bit of me and emma talking shit as well so i think that's not bad actually for five dollars a month um so if you want to do that you can sign up for one dollars and just vote for the slash and dash episodes you can sign up for more and get a tote bag that's on patreon.com forward slash slaughter the podcast i think but just google it Um, we've had a couple of requests this week for if we're still selling t-shirts and you can still get t-shirts and other merch without being a patron you um can go to spreadshirt or threadless yeah i mean i think they're hard to find so the best thing to do is go to the facebook group and look at the pinned post you can just leave the facebook group straight after if you think it's stop telling people to leave things straight away cut that (laughs) i cut the bit where you said oh and then just leave the patreon no (laughs) get them in the facebook group (laughs) join the facebook group stay in the facebook group tell us about your favorite true crimes and then buy some t-shirts happy yeah <laughs> and uh, we're gonna have a new t-shirt design soon but for now you can only get the new design for it's on stickers from being a patron but we will roll it they out. should get it first but it is super cute yeah um and cute again we use cute, cute in a way that means as like scary. things we like not cute <laughs> as in puppies and rainbows no and uh follow us on twitter at slaughter the pod or just Email us, slaughter the podcast at gmail.com. Luke's here, so we've got to go. Bye! Bye! <laughs> and remember, listening to Slaughter doesn't make you a psycho. Playing Guess What's Up There also doesn't make you a psycho if it's consensual and like something you kind of want to do. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.